So we're in this Advent season. Uh, if you've been with us, we are talking about uh, all of the things that the incarnation of Christ brought to this world. Uh, last week we did Enduring Love. This year we're going to be doing Enduring Peace. Uh, one of the things that you're noticing here is maybe a theme of enduring. I don't know if you, you're catching up on that. But uh, one of the things that, the reason that I wanted to do that and I want to focus on that is because there are glimpses, glimpses of all four of these things. Love and peace and hope and joy in this world. There's glimpses of it all over the place. But they all seem to be fleeting if they aren't inside the eternity of what Christ has done in us. And so what we're looking at is something that doesn't just come and go in some ways. It's something that will endure through this world and, what, and, and into the next even. And so it's something that we want that's a lasting peace. You know, that's one of the things that you hear, frankly, talked about in the news a lot right now. It's a lasting peace. You talk about Israel and Gaza and what's going on there. What will make a lasting peace? What can possibly make this lasting peace? How can we possibly have a peace that lasts? And really, that's what we all want. Not just on a global world stage, but we want that for ourselves. We want to be free from anxiety. We want to be free from fear. We want to be free from the things that hold us back and that keep us away from God. And there's this peace that Jesus brought. And it's enduring. And it can withstand anything of this world. And so that's what we want to be looking at today is these things that Jesus brought. Because I'll tell you, the rest of it in the rest of the world, the love and the peace and the hope and the joy, all of those things usually outside of Christ, always outside of Christ, are based on things that are perishable because they're based on things of this world. I can have joy if I get this, or I can have love if this person treats me this way, or I can have peace if I don't have conflict at this time, or I can have joy if I get the things that I'm looking for. And the fact is, all of those are based on fleeting things, things that will die and rust and be destroyed and can be stolen. And what we're talking about is things that can't be changed by what happens in this world. They're eternal things, and that's what makes us different. That's why we put our hope in Christ. And that's why we look at this infant who came into this world and changed everything. And he was even told about before he came, and that's our scripture for today, is we're going to be in Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. This is Isaiah talking to the people of God, and he's telling them about what will happen. And I, I don't even know if he knows exactly the depth of what he's promising here, but you need to know that this is what we point back to so often, is the way Isaiah would talk to his people who have been in captivity and now are being set free. And this is the scripture for 6 and 7 in our text for today. 9, 6, and 7. For unto us a child is born, and to us a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor and Mighty God, an Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, <laughs> establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. The word of the Lord. Isn't that wonderful? What a great promise. What a great promise that was made and that was fulfilled for us. The greatness of his government and peace will not end. There's nothing that can stop it, and it won't have an end. It's going to be an enduring, eternal thing. 
And you need to know this word for government, the way that they use it, is not exactly the way that we think about that. It's really, a, it's a kingdom question. It's his kingdom. In other words, what he, set up, what he sets up and rules over in his world, in his dominion, in his rule, peace will be there forever. It'll be the rule it will be the rule of his kingdom and of his dominion is that there will be peace and it will be a lasting peace. And the interesting part about that is that the way it even says about this peace and this government, it'll rest on his shoulders. In other words, he'll bear the weight of this. He will be the one that is the one to bear the weight of a lasting peace. It'll all be on him. He'll be able to make this happen. And not only will it be something that he'll be able to make happen, he's powerful enough to make sure that it endures. This battle between kingdoms like that, you know, this description. His kingdom is going to be this kingdom of peace. And that's a word that we hear uh, some, and I don't know if you're familiar with this, but the Hebrew word shalom, you may have heard that used in a lot of ways. It's still used shalom. Uh, people that are Jewish folks will, will greet each other that way. Shalom, shalom. It's this peace. And then there's this other kingdom that we talk about, and, and it's called empire. And for a lot of people who study the Bible a lot and look at the whole picture, they will go, that is the whole story of God is this battle between two kingdoms. One kingdom of empire and one kingdom of peace, shalom. And you see it throughout Scripture. Empire is this idea of more. I need more and more and more. And I will gather it through force, and I will do whatever it takes to gather it. But there's this never-ending thing with empires that there's always more to get. It has, I'm never enough. It's never complete. I have to have more. And that's not just this empire that we see in governments. That's something that can happen and, and, and sweep us away into it. Is we can live into that, this idea of I've got to have more and I've got to collect more. And it's through my power and my force that I will gather these things and I'll collect them. And then I'll make my life this life of peace through the things that I can get. That's an empire. That's a kingdom of empire. And it's very different than a kingdom of peace. As a matter of fact, if you look at it, there's two big examples of it that are cornerstones of how God's people interact, right? So there's Egypt, which is a perfect example of empire. If you know the story of Egypt, you know that's what happened with the Hebrew people is that they were drawn into this place and they lived there kind of as equals to begin and then were enslaved at that place. And Pharaoh's a perfect example. The way that Pharaoh operated was the idea of empire. I'll take what I want and I'll do it through force. And it doesn't matter what it costs you because I'm gathering and I'm increasing my empire. And that's a huge story in the Bible. It's so important to our history and the way that God works because the whole idea was that God was going to come in and overpower the one who wanted power. And he was going to bring relief and rescue and redemption. At the same time, the other perfect example of that's Rome at the time of Jesus. It's the same way. You got Pharaoh, you got Caesar. You got Egypt, you got Rome. It's this idea of empire. It's this idea of power, of using people to get what you want, of gathering more and more and more, and it never being enough. That's what empire looks like. And that's, that's a battle we still have today in so many different ways. Individually, governments, you still see that. But there's another kingdom. And it's the kingdom of shalom. It's this kingdom of peace. And you need to know that peace is, as the video said, it's more than just the absence of war. 
Peace is actually this active thing. And, and shalom actually means to be whole, to be made whole, to be entire, to have the completeness. It's this idea that things can be good and done and whole and complete. It's the very opposite of the empire sort of kingdom, which is more and more and more. This is, it's good, it's enough, right? It's the idea that God created and then said, it's good. This is the way that it's supposed to be. So there's, there's this idea of these two empires that are constantly at war with one another. And in which one can we actually be made whole? Now, this word shalom appears a bunch of times in Scripture. But you need to know that the first time it appears is in Genesis chapter 15 when God makes his covenant with Abraham. If you understand, God came to Abraham and said, look, here's the deal. I'm going to make this covenant with you. I'm going to work through you. And through you, I am going to bless the entire world. Through your descendants, the whole world is going to be blessed. And that's really the first time that this word shows up. Like, here's Genesis 15, 5, and here's the promise that was made. He took him outside, that was God, took Abraham outside, and he said, look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. That's just a small portion of the promise that was made to Abraham. I'm going to work through you, and I'm going to heal the whole world through your descendants. And then Genesis 15, 15, right after that, is when he said, you, however, will go to your ancestors in peace in shalom, and be buried at a good old age. There's this idea that God says, here's the thing, I'm going to work through you. You're going to be okay. You're going to live, and you're going to be made whole, and then you're going to pass away as someone who's been completed and whole, and I'm going to do that for you. I will make you whole. I will make you completed. That's a great promise that he made to Abraham and one that we still have today. And you know that because we even talk later that, that because Abraham's faith and what he did, it was credited to him as righteousness. And so he was made whole through God and what God did with him. This peace, this wholeness, you're complete. You don't have to fear. You don't have to worry. You don't have to have anxiety. We still do. But there's this kingdom of shalom where we don't have to. And it started from the beginning. If you look at this, we had peace with God in the beginning. That's what Eden was. Wholeness, completeness with God. Genesis 3, 8 says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. I want you to... That's what peace, shalom looks like, is the idea that I'm walking with the Lord in his creation that's been perfected, that doesn't have sin, that doesn't have brokenness in it, this wholeness in the way that God created things before the fall of mankind, before we did sin. I know it, this, this occurs after they've already uh, made the mistake and had the sin, but this, I think, represents the life that God intended was for mankind and God to walk right next to each other. For nothing to be hidden, for there to be no shame, for there to be no guilt, and for there to be no sin. And so it makes sense that it would have been like this until the fall. That's what it looks like to be made whole, is for everything to be happening the way God provided. If you think about Adam and Eve during that time, they wanted for nothing. 
They feared nothing. They had no anxiety. They had no, uh, no nervousness in that way of what's going to happen to them, where my future lies, who I belong to, whether I'll have enough. It's the opposite of empire. Until they fell. Until they put on this idea that maybe even this walking with God is not enough. And so they made the first sin that really has to do with this kingdom of empire. Maybe there's more. Maybe there's more than what I can have. They were tempted by empire, and they fell to it. Genesis 3.15 says what happens afterwards. These are the word of God. Because you have sinned, and I will put enmity. He's talking about, just so you know, the accuser, Satan, and Eve and Adam. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This is the result of peace lost. This is what wholeness looks like and completeness when it's lost. And you need to know this word enmity is is really this very hostile and hateful intent. It's this idea. It's, It's not just a mistake It's not just that we're at odds. It's I have made us enemies. If I have enmity with someone right here, it means my intent is to be your enemy. My intent is to be hateful to you. Now, it's really important to understand. He doesn't say I'm going to put enmity between the humans that failed and God. He said I'm going to put enmity between you and this idea of empire, this accuser, this one who said you're not enough, this one who said you're not whole, this one that said you're not complete without me, that you need more. Remember, that was the temptation. There's more. You can be like God. And so what he does is he says you've lost your peace, and from now on there will be this battle between you and empire and sin and death. It's going to be this battle that occurs. Enmity and our enemy is a spiritual force, and it's important to remember that. That the accuser is the one, the one who lies, and the one that works through these lies for us. And he's the enemy that comes to try and steal your completeness and your peace in a world that's broken. He's the one that sows fear, and he's the one that sows anxiety. And that's the battle that we have. So when peace is broken, like it was then, then here's the question. How do you get it back? And, I, and, and this is a perfect example of this, but, but we even know this in our individual lives. When peace is broken, how in the world do you get it back? Because I'll tell you, that is a thing that this world has a huge problem with, and it has not been able to figure it out. And I'll tell you, the biggest difference, I think, is because there's a difference between keeping the peace and making the peace. And that's a big deal. Our world likes to talk more along the lines of what it means to keep peace. I think we need to be, if you think about this for a second, the idea of peacekeepers, anytime that you see them, if you were to Google peacekeepers at this time, it would probably show you a soldier with a gun, which I think is very ironic. Peacekeeping missions almost always seem to have violence attached to them in some way. And it's this idea that I'll keep peace by pushing people down. You need to know, that's kind of how Caesar did it, right? Caesar promised peace as well. Did you know that? In his empire, he said, I will give you peace. Jesus is not the only one that promised. But here's how his peace came, because it's very different. Have you heard of the Pax Romana? 
The idea of the peace of Rome, when I said Pax, y'all started thinking coffee. I know you did because of what's downtown. Pax Romana, it's the peace of Rome. And this is what Caesar promised. And as a matter of fact, during the time of Jesus, about 27 years, uh, 27 B.C., so a little before Jesus, all the way through up to about 180 A.D. is referred to as this time of the peace of Rome. It's laughable. We still refer to it that way. You want to know why? Because there was a lot less war. There was a lot less conflict because Rome had already come in and crushed everybody that it wanted and put it under their heel, and they were in charge. And that's what they called peace. Let me tell you, for the Israelite people, for the Hebrew people, for all of the other countries of people that have been crushed and conquered, I promise you it did not feel like peace. That's not wholeness. That's not completeness. That's not a peace. This idea that if I crush you to the point where you don't fight back, here is a peace that lasts. These are the same people that would take the ones that they had conquered. And if you dare speak against or rise up, they'll nail you to a tree or put you on a spike, cover you in tar, and light you on fire to guide the way into the town. That's not peace. That's an absence right then of war of active war at that time. That's the thing about real peace, is it's something that has to be made. It's not something that comes from a crushing of another person. I'll tell you, I think that's one of the big deals with what's going on with Israel and Gaza right now, right? A lot of the folks that talk about it are both talking about peace will only come through the destruction of the other. That's the way our world talks about peace. One of these sides has to be crushed. And once they are, then peace will exist. That's not the peace that Jesus brings. That's not the way that this looks. This idea that for peace to happen, one has to die. That's not the way our Jesus operated. Even that, we talk about keeping peace in other ways, right? One of the things that we talk about is, hey, we want to try and keep the peace. And with a stranger, sometimes that happens. And oftentimes in our world, what we talk about with that is to go, just walk away. Just walk away. You got somebody, you know, I don't know if you've had this before, but you've been maybe in a grocery store or somebody cut you off and they yell at you or you got a road rage thing and you have this, just walk away. Walk away. Keep the peace. You even hear people say stuff like, he's not worth it. He's not worth it. He's not worth it. That's easy to do with people that are strangers. The idea that you can just walk away and, and kind of have an absence of a battle, just avoid them, right? That you can just walk away, you don't have to see them again. The idea is that we can coexist in this town and not have to worry about that. You know that because you may have a coworker that you have that with, that you go, hey, we haven't been able to find peace, so I just keep the peace, I stay away from them. You have a bully at school, somebody who does that, that you just avoid. You do have the person that maybe cut you off and you have the road rate incident and you just back off and you go, I'm just keeping the peace. That's not real peace. That's not real peace between people. That is just an avoidance. The idea of Jesus is that his kingdom would come and peace would be made and it has to be created. And you need to know, making peace, this is, this is the irony of all, making peace can be a very violent thing be a very violent thing because nearly always something has to die 
to be able to make a real peace. Something has to die. And the closer you are to someone and the more that you love them, the more important it is for you to make peace and the harder and more painful it's going to be. Because there's always a sacrifice. Something always has to die. I'll give you an example. I had some good friends uh, up in the Austin area. They were our age. And uh, married and had uh, three kids. And then it was discovered that the wife had been unfaithful to the husband. And for a while. And so peace was broken in the house, in the marriage covenant. There was peace that was broken because of the unfaithfulness. Because of the affair that had been had. But later, when peace had been remade, when you hear her talk, she would tell you what happened was I confessed to my husband and I told him everything. And of course, he was devastated and he was hurt in every single way and he was angry. And she said, and then I saw the eyes of Jesus looking back at me, saying to me, we're going to work this out. I'm going to find a way to forgive you. We're going to make this happen. And we're going to work on this back. And then they had this marriage that was redeemed in every way. It's even closer than it was before. But you need to know that piece, that had to be made and some things had to die. His anger had to die. His wrath about how unfair and how wrong that was, that had to die. <coughs> Distrust between them, that had to die. And it was painful and it was hard. But that's what it means to make peace with someone. Is somebody who's willing to sacrifice and be hurt for it. Young people, let me tell you, that's what you want to look for in a mate in this life. Is somebody who's willing to work with you to make peace no matter what happens in a relationship. Something that will, uh, somebody who's willing to sacrifice in such a way to make that peace. See, in our world, it's very different. The world will tell you that the offender is expected to make it right and to make peace, to make things whole. In other words, if, if I harm you, then it's my responsibility to make peace. It's my responsibility to make you whole again, to make you complete. The problem is I don't have the ability to do that. But the offender, this is the interesting thing about this world, but the offender or the offended, excuse me, is the one who has the real power to make peace. If I harm you and the burden is put on me to make things right and to make you whole again, then we're in trouble because I don't have the ability to overcome what I've done to you and to make you whole again. The fact is all the power is in your hands as to whether or not you want to make peace. You have that ability. Here's the thing that you talk about. You hear people talking about peace and how it's made. They talk about coming to the table, right? When you have these two groups and you go, well, they came to the table and they tried to come up with some sort of compromise and it didn't work, so this one walked away from the table and this one walked away from the table. And who's willing to come back to the table? And the first thing that we usually do is to go, you're the one who messed up. You're the one at fault. You're the one who harmed me. So it's up to you. You have to come and you have to help make peace. You hurt me. So for me to be whole, you need to surrender and you need to be crushed because that will help make me whole. The problem is it never works. God instead said, you hurt me, but for you to be whole, I'll surrender and I'll be crushed and then we'll be whole. You see the difference? The one who was offended is the one who died. And that's how peace was made. 
is I'm the one that has been offended. I'm the one that's been harmed, but I'm the only one that can make this right in this way. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to be crushed for you. And those are the words that are used a lot. Like if you know Isaiah 53, 5, where it talks about what will happen with Jesus, listen to the words that are used. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds were healed. Crushed, pierced, punishment, wounds. Peace can be violent. But it's not the violence that I extract from the one that's offended me. In Jesus' case, it's the violence I'm willing to go through to make sure you and I are whole again. That's what Jesus did. That's why it's different for us. Because peace is not something that it's a search to be found in this world. It's a person. We have a person who is peace. And he made it at great cost for us to have peace with him and with our Heavenly Father. It doesn't come through surrender of the other side, thankfully, like the world talks about, the destruction of the enemy. Only Jesus would say, peace comes through my destruction and my sacrifice, and I will make peace for you with me at whatever it costs. See, that's the difference. Caesar would come and inflict peace upon you through conquering, through death, through your submission. I will force you into peace. As a matter of fact, that's one of the things that it would talk about when Caesar would come through and crush an area and take it over and go, you're part of my kingdom now, and they would have a rider come through to declare, Caesar is now king. You now belong to Rome. There will be peace. And you know what that was called when they did that? The gospel. The gospel according to Caesar. The good news, the declaration that there's good news, that there's a new king, that's what it was called. We didn't make up the word gospel. It was used there. And that's how Caesar would do it, is through your crushing and through your surrender and through you being absolutely put under my heel, peace will come. Here's the good news. What Jesus did for us was the opposite. Now we have a gospel that says something very different. Guess what? There's peace now. And it didn't cost you, it cost me. And so our leader said, I went to the cross. I died to make sure that there's peace with you so that you can live. That's the difference. Let me tell you, that's the invitation of Christ in every way. Right? I mean, it started in the garden when we walked away from him, and then finally it came in the incarnation when he said, I'm going to walk down and join you. I will make peace come back. That's what Jesus did. Peace has been made at great cost. Romans 5, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into his grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. It's not just a ceasefire that we have with God for a little while if you're good enough. Instead, it's an eternal peace that has been purchased for us through the death of Christ. And it can't be shaken by your actions, and it can't be taken away. It's that peace from the beginning that said it will have no end. It will be eternal. It's been given to us. That's what Christ did for our peace. The question is, do you want to live in this? Because that's the reality of things and what he's done. And the hardest thing for us sometimes is to believe that we have peace. You have peace with Christ. It's there. You need to live into that. I don't know if you've heard those stories. You heard the stories of maybe after World War II where there were some Japanese soldiers that didn't know the end of the war had come. 
right? I, I read one recently, uh, Hiru Onada, who was a Japanese soldier who was placed on a small island in the Philippines during World War II. 1944, he was put there to help guard the island. Okay, and if you know your history, within about a year, the war was over, right? It had been signed. A peace agreement had been signed. No doubt it was through war, but, but the war was over. And so peace had come to that place, but he didn't surrender. And at first, it's because he didn't know that the war was over, which is a tragedy. But then when they sent search teams to come find him and to tell him, hey, you need to know, you don't have to keep fighting. This is over. The war's done. There's actually peace now. And he didn't believe them. As a matter of fact, he didn't believe them to the point where he stayed another 10,000 days. 30 years. Three decades he stayed on this island fighting a battle that didn't have to be fought. Fighting a battle that was over in every single way. As a matter of fact, the interesting thing was they would send search teams to go find him and they would bring him pictures, as a matter of fact, of his family back in Japan and go, here's a picture of your family in Japan. And what had happened is that the world had been rebuilt in Japan in such a way, and he saw these pictures of his family. He didn't recognize the world. Things had been rebuilt. The things that had been torn down had been rebuilt. There's a new world there. And he goes, this cannot be real because I don't recognize this new world of peace. I don't recognize when I see it. It's changed so much, I can't believe what you're talking about. There's no way that this is over. And so he continued to fight a war that was over for 30 years. Imagine the peace he missed out on. Imagine the wholeness and the completeness that can come some in this world with the idea of going, you could have had peace, man. You could have laid this down. You didn't have to keep fighting. This is the same call that Christ has to us. Peace has been made. Jesus has done this. You have been justified through his works. If you're continuing to fight and you're continuing to have this battle to make sure that you can get the peace that you've always wanted, that's a battle that's over. You just need to live in the reality. Even if you don't recognize this world, it's been remade in such a way I don't even know it. That is the peace of Christ. It's a new creation. It's a new realm. You don't have to be afraid anymore. You don't have to be fearful and you don't have to be anxious because there's been peace made for you. The question is whether or not do you want to step into this and live it. That poor guy on that island, all he had to do was lay it down and through surrender would come great peace. It's the same for us. That's the call of Christ. I want to tell you, if you're struggling with that, man, we want to pray with you. We're going to take some time here in just a minute. There will be some elders around and some ministers around. We would love to pray with you. If you're going, hey, I know I live in this peace because of what Jesus did, but I'm still struggling with fear. I'm still struggling with anxiety. I'm still having a hard time understanding that this battle's over and that it's been won. Then we want to pray with you. If you're somebody who says, hey, I haven't made that decision yet, but I'm ready to step into what Jesus has already done. I'm ready to make this my life. We want to do that. We would love nothing more. There's nothing more important to us than if you wanted to make a decision to follow Christ. We'll stop everything. Tell you about Jesus. We would love to explain to you how it works and let you be baptized into Christ and walk this new life where peace has been made with you and your God. And you just get to live into it. 
We would love nothing more than be able to do that. If you want to come and you want to pray with any of us, you'll have that opportunity here in a minute. I would ask, would you please stand, and we're going to close out with a prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for an enduring peace, a peace that lasts forever that we have because of what Jesus did. Lord, we are amazed that enduring peace and lasting peace and something that was so hard for us to get on our own came through the birth of a little child that was laid in a manger and that was needed to be held by human hands and to be cared for in our way, that you came and you entered this world to make peace for us. And Lord, we don't want to be in this place where we just try and keep the peace and feel like we have to be good enough. Instead, we want to surrender and follow you in every single way. And we know that that peace is ours. Lord, let us lay down our uh, weapons and instead follow you in every single way and enjoy the peace that you've promised. For you are the Prince of Peace, and on your shoulder rests eternal peace and a government that will not go away. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.